Hi, I'm Alan Weiss, and this, of course, is The Uncomfortable Truth. And today, financial CYA, financial cover your ass, and the S being covered is the banks. You know, I can buy a car instantly, so can most of you, with no real credit check. The dealer says, yeah, I'll put this together, put some papers in front of you, makes a few calls, and you have credit to buy a car. I've never been refused credit to buy a car, even when I was young and poor, never. I order cars that cost more money than most people's homes, and I do it with zero deposit. The dealer doesn't want to deposit. When the car comes, we get together and we sort things out, and I drive the car off the lot. I'm not paying cash. I lease cars. Yet my bank, where I have, shall we say, significant investments, charges me for an automated incoming wire transfer. So somebody sends me money, 50000 bucks. And the bank charges me $18. Why? I don't know. No humans are involved in that. They charge me a $12 fee when my overdraft line kicks in. And then they charge me interest on that the next month, like $1.60. I have overdraft lines because I travel. And sometimes people send me bills with short due dates. That's the subject for another podcast. But So I don't get to them in time and my checking account doesn't have enough money. So an overdraft account kicks in. That's why I have it. The bank doesn't seem to like me using it. The bank will provide me with foreign currency before I take a trip. They will sell me euros, but they won't take them back again. And they warn you, if you come back with them, we won't take them back. I wonder if they're counterfeit. When I wanted another mortgage for a second house I bought, where I now have my train set, people in the bowels of the banking organization where I asked for the second mortgage, I don't forget, I'm a great customer, claimed I didn't make enough money to justify having two mortgages. Now, I'm called a high net worth individual. And high net worth individuals, at least a lot of us, don't like to show a lot of income. We don't do it illegally. We just do it in ways where there's not a lot of income in our personal returns. There are ways to do this that are legal. I mean, there's still a significant amount, but not a huge amount. Well, they figured using calculations down in the bowels of this bank with their green eye shades and their sleeve protectors and their pocket protectors and lanterns and pitchforks, that I didn't have enough income to support a second house. I couldn't afford another $4,000 mortgage a month. Those of you who know me know that's about one person in one of my programs. And... I had to protest this, but they were deaf ears because, see, I'm not a customer. I'm a series of separate numbers, a series of separate accounts. I'm not a holistic customer. There is no gestalt to me and others like me or you. We're just separate accounts and transactions. Some guy I never heard of in the bank sent me a letter. I picture some 25-year-old, you know, MBA who can't really talk about anything outside of boxes and decimal points, he calls me and says, my required minimum withdrawal, you know, at my age, I have to each year withdraw money from my retirement accounts. Okay, fair enough. Threaten me that if I didn't do it, the bank wouldn't be responsible. There'd be IRS penalties and they'd have to report it. The problem is I had made the withdrawal the same year, 10 months earlier. The left hand not only didn't speak to the right hand, the left hand doesn't know there's more than one hand. After giving me a lot of trouble about a mortgage again, 
I took seven figures, a healthy seven figures, in investments out of the bank and put them in another bank. you think that would get their attention. When the second bank started to give me trouble subsequently, I went to New York City and I met with the president of North American Operations and we had, shall we say, a heart to heart. I now have an office within his headquarters building at my disposal to use whenever I like. It's diagonally across from the Palace Hotel where I like to hang out on Madison Avenue. It was a lot of work, but I felt better. And the bank learned something. But what did that whole thing cost them? What would happen if they took care of you and me at the front line as though we're good customers? And they wouldn't have to spend all this money as things go up the line and they create hard feelings. Do you know that people who try to pay me with their credit cards, and this is probably 90% of how I'm paid these days, have unimaginable refusals from their own banks, requiring them to make multiple phone calls. Now, you would think the bank has given them a credit card to make it easier for them to purchase things, to pay interest on the purchases they don't pay off, to pay an annual fee and so on. No, no, no. The bank is worried sick about being cheated. Good customers are going to cheat them. I can come into the United States through immigration, not known as the friendliest, cuddliest place in the world, and have a machine read my retinas and my fingerprints and say, okay, good guy, go ahead. And the customs agent, the immigration guy, just takes my form and out I go. But not for the banks. It can't be that easy. Yet those car loans, I remind you, went through instantly. Why is that? Because dealers want customers who can buy immediately. Banks really don't care about customer comfort. They don't care about customer time. One bank here makes you sit down with an officer on the platform, so to speak, in the officer's office, if you want to make a wire transfer, and you have to answer ridiculous questions and bring ID. And then, I'm not making this up, you have to sit in that officer's office while he or she picks up the phone and calls their own back office and reads them the form. I am not making that up. So, 30, 40 minutes later, you can walk out with something that should have been able to have been accomplished completely electronically. Now, all of this is within my power and my persuasion to protest and try to influence. But what about people who don't have my means? Do you know banks in Germany right now are charging just to hold people's money? In other words, if you put your money under your mattress, you'll have the same amount there in the morning. If you put it in a German bank, you'll have less because they charge you negative interest. Online banking is often an exercise in futility. Credit card transactions can take two days. Wires can take more than that, yet it's all automated. If I put in a credit card transaction on a Thursday and it processes overnight, I don't see that money in my account Friday, the weekend's out, and they only process Sunday night, so I might see it Monday and I might see it Tuesday, four or five days after the transaction went through, the money finally shows up in my account. One bank told me, with a straight face, that a check in Canadian funds, which someone had unfortunately sent me, they didn't send it in U.S. dollars, couldn't be deposited until they physically airmailed it back to the bank in Canada for approval. It couldn't be approved online or by phone, had to be physically approved. <laughs> I mean, how stupid does this get? 
Unless you press them, by the way, banks aren't paying interest at all. And they often charge you service charges for no service. I don't think cryptocurrency is going to take over the financial system, but I can see the appeal of anything that frees us from conservative, uncaring, and ignorant banking decisions, and that's who we have running banks. One day, my bank's parking lot was filled. But when I went in, there were no customers. I said, who's in your lot? And they said, well, our bank's meeting rooms downstairs are the site of a regional meeting today, and it's filled with people from around the area. I said, did anyone suggest to your colleagues or to management that bank employees not park in customer spaces so that customers can get in? This is a zero unemployment economy with the market going through the roof. You'd think the banks would want to take advantage of that. And this is currently, right now, folks, as you listen to this, the largest generational transfer of wealth in the history of mankind, not in the history of banks or the history of the United States, in history, period, because the Reagan IRA legislation back from the 80s has now hit the elder of the baby boomers and below them. That's me. And we have to take our money out. And it has to go somewhere. And so you have trillions, tens of trillions, listen to me, tens of trillions of dollars being transferred to another generation or being given to charities or universities or trusts or whatever. You'd think the banks would be on top of this. People taking their money out don't need to buy another car, don't need to buy another home, don't need to get a college education. What are they going to do with their money? There's a need for age-appropriate contemporary relationships. People such as I don't want to deal with interns and 25-year-olds who don't yet know where the restroom is. Perhaps banks should be run by the hospitality industry executives. They seem to care if people are comfortable and spend money and choose to return. And after all, the more I think about it, the less of a gamble casinos are than a lot of the banks. That's got to be the uncomfortable truth. (laughs) 